2: Charge. What a screw. What a screamer. And a fantastic
3: goal. Arsnow back in it. And here's liver Lines it
1: up. Finds the net. Arsenal in front. It is the Itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, shriveled cojones of Troy Dini that we're talking about on the Arsenal Vision podcast today. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I was going to sing that. Uh, I thought better of it. I probably should have thought better the whole thing, but enough about that. Let's talk about the podcast. Uh, we are discussing Arsenal's away victory, it says here. Let me check that. Hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Away victory. That's what it says. Uh, so we're going to discuss that, and we're going to discuss it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter. at Hello, Tim. I like that. And Andrew, you can find him on Twitter at artsblog. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Elliot. Yeah, you, should I, have sung it. Yeah. you should have sung it. I should have sung it. He wore a... No. No, no. no don't, <laughs> sing. don't sing it. Don't sing
3: it. Don't sing it. Don't sing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been your fault. Um, Yeah, no, I, this this is one of those weird situations where we get to discuss a victory as though it was probably a loss Um, in some ways. <laughs> and I, I have to admit, Andrew, I listened... To the Ars Cast, obviously, as mm. everybody listening to this will have done, and I thought James was a bit sanguine on the whole thing, so hopefully this will give you the opportunity to unleash the other side of your reaction to the match, um, which is sort of how, <laughs> how we do things over here. I'm sure Tim is not nodding in agreement. Uh, but, but Tim, let me start with you just for a second. Mm. You remember that part of the game where the referee blew his whistle and it was over? Uh, yeah, yeah that, awesome. yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. That reminds me of the uh, <laughs> the Chris Farley skit you remember from Saturday Night Live <laughs> with with uh, Paul McCartney. Um, no, I, I mean all kidding aside, I think this whole match has to be viewed through the lens of having the Napoli tie bookending this game, and especially mm. given that we're playing, we were playing on a Monday with a Thursday away leg in mind, and I, I think that's certainly a part of it. But I, I mean the obvious interesting decision here was to go with a back four with Mavropanos included and I mean I think Mm. everything that was challenging about this match including the substitution patterns flowed from that so for you do you think this entire match has to be viewed through the lens of that choice and and the desire you know the obviously the ban for Socrates and the desire to stay fresh for Thursday
3: I I think so yeah because if you look at someone like Kolasinac for example could have come in um, and would have had a little bit more experience back there in defense And also, you know, a a couple of the substitutions, I think, would have been pre-planned to some extent. Um, I think he probably knew Mavropanos. He wasn't going to get 90 minutes out of Mavropanos, um, albeit, you know, he he did look a bit rusty, which he can't, uh, that can't have come as a massive surprise, so whether it was uh you know 65 minutes and I'm taking him off or uh, or he's really beginning to look a bit wobbly now I better take him off like that that can't have been an enormous surprise to him um and I think obviously Aaron Ramsey as well he probably always I mean he he rarely gives Ramsey 90 minutes actually regardless of the situation but um particularly with Thursday in mind where I think we I mean I, th- I kind of think we need Ramsey in every game at the moment he's he's growing import- in importance so much but um I I think that was always going to be like quite an early substitution he said something about Torreira as well um you know having a a bit of a knock um from the other night so whether he plans to take him off at half time or not probably not but maybe he didn't have the full 90 minutes uh earmarked for him so I think there was quite a lot going on and to be honest I don't think that's massively unusual for Emery I said on the last podcast I, I don't really look at um, his his selections as 11s anymore, I look at them more as 14s because I think there is an element of pre-planning um, to some of the substitutions and, and the way he likes to do things but what was kind of weird about this game was I think one of his substitutions, which I'm sure we'll get onto, just came really really out of left field and I think completely destabilised the team at our most comfortable and threatening moment in the game um, and that to me suggests that Uh, definitely the fact that the Napoli tie is sitting in there of course that's going to have an effect and you saw like Man United on Saturday didn't play well at all against uh, against West Ham Um, Spurs were quite lucky because they had Huddersfield at home Mm. Um, but a lot of the teams with these European ties coming up you know weren't amazing and obviously had a a bit of an eye on them Um, but uh, and again, I'm, I'm sure this will come out in the conversation. I do think the away form thing is probably in Emery's head more than it's in anyone else's. Hmm. And uh, that, that does make me worry a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's interesting too, right? Because like I thought that some of this was was also influenced by the fact that we went up a goal early and then up a man. And mm. I imagine that Emery was probably planning for a really tough battle, keep it keep yeah. it as tight as we could early you know maybe try to win it late and instead he has a lead and a man advantage and i'm not sure he totally knew how to react to that i, I think no. similarly well because tim if i think about the ren game the away leg you know we came out so dominantly there and i think he wasn't sure how to react to going up uh, yeah, down a yeah. man down there was a similar issue the game changed so substantially from maybe expectations that it, it probably threw off what he had planned
3: we We've seen this quite a lot. First of all, um, when Emery's teams go ahead, they don't tend to, like, you know, put the boot on the neck. They do, even against Huddersfield, they kind of wind it in a bit and try and hit on the counter. I'm, I'm not sure that really works. What I thought was kind of happening um, in the first half was, or uh, well, at the end of the first half, I had a conversation with some friends at half time and they were a bit like, you know, why aren't we going for them? Why aren't we, like, really pressing the advantage? And I kind of said, well, the way I read it is the Deeney sending off hasn't really changed anything for Watford, Mm -hmm. certainly not defensively. They've still got their four midfielders and four centre-halves and they're still letting us have the ball, which was probably their game plan anyway. It just meant they carried a little less threat going forward. But other than that, nothing really changed. And I thought what we were doing was waiting for Watford to blink and thinking, right, they can't go on like this for the whole game. At some point, they're going to have to take a bit of a gamble and put that second forward on. And I thought that's what we were waiting for. I thought we were waiting for them to blink. But the exact moment that they put them forward on, that was exactly when we made that really confusing substitution, which um, I don't know if the cameras picked this up, inside the ground, the players, like a good minute after play had restarted, Koscielny was, you know, still talking to the bench. They didn't understand what was happening so I don't think that that was a scenario they were talked through. Um, I think that was probably a little bit off off the dome piece um, from memory. <laughs> but I I also think you make an interesting point there. As part of my theory of why Arsenal suffer away from home is that Arsenal like the game to conform to a pattern throughout. And when the record skips a little bit, um, they can't really handle it. They can't handle a change in temperature. Um, in the game and actually that doesn't happen at home even if we go one nil down it doesn't really change the pattern of the game we still control it and and to all intents and purposes it doesn't change that doesn't happen away from home and so what tends to happen away from home is we look all right at nil nil but once either team scores we look and and it creates like a frisson in the game we look we look quite suspect and Mm. I think kind of what happened here was that that crease in the pattern of the game all happened in the first five minutes. And I think you're right. We didn't know how to handle it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. I, this is something that I, I had to double check it and I didn't because I'm uh, not thorough or detail-oriented. Uh, <laughs> but I read that we are, we have won every game following a Europa League tie um, and that Chelsea have not won any. Um, and, and I think that that is, you know, telling because that, that's really tricky. The one thing you're always told is that the Europa League spikes your domestic season. Um, now, admittedly, we had the extra day this time because it was on a Monday, but you know we expended a lot of energy and had to rotate pretty heavily for this game as a result of it and Socrates' ban. And you know, I, I think we have to give credit where it's due for getting results on the back of Europa League ties. We we know from Champions League experience, heavy sigh, um, that 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 was just as difficult. So, Andrew, you know, one thing that you know I I feel very strongly influenced this game. Is the back four he chose? Now he picked a back four at Spurs and that worked really well. and I'm sure you know he looked at how the back three performance shaped up against Everton, and that informed some of his decision. I don't think he necessarily had the personnel to choose from against Watford to even go with a back three for the whole game if he wanted to. but mm. I, I think a really underrated part of this story is he played Mustafi at right back, which is a very, very, very conservative selection in terms of our attacking play. Um, and I think it really impacted Mkhitaryan's ability to get into the match, too, because he just didn't have that supply line. Um, you know, and we missed Kolasinac on the left because Nacho Monreal, who I like and have a lot of time for, is getting up there. And I, I think we would agree that Kolasinac is is more of an, an attacking force. So you had more conservative fullbacks. And I think Emery may have made the Mustafi selection with the Mavropanos start in mind. The idea that a, a more experienced, albeit uh, man wearing clown shoes, central defender in Mustafi could help Urge or or uh, nudge Mavropanos <clears throat> through the match a little better than young Ainsley Maitland Niles. You know, if you sure. have a Maitland Niles and Mavropanos right side of your defense, that, that that could be really challenging. So, I mean, do you think that maybe the selection of two fullbacks who are have played a lot as center backs and one who is a center back and their lack of attacking impetus was also maybe a part of why, you know, we looked a little bit different in the way
2: we built play? maybe i think uh, that's a good point you know when he picked mavropanos i was a bit surprised but he sandwiched him between two experienced players um Koscielny to his left uh, is the captain and, and mustafi to the right who is obviously a very experienced player uh, regardless of what what kind of shoes he's wearing <laughs> um you know it, it worked well enough playing mustafi at right back against spurs and i thought we were very good in that game um I'm not necessarily sure that it was just the fullbacks that was the problem. I think Tim hits on a really interesting point where he says, as soon as the needle skips were we're not great, we're not good improvisers under Unai Emery. And, you know, we can talk about Arsene Wenger and the way that his team set up, but there was an element of improvisation to the way that we played that was often uh, present in our performances that isn't necessarily there with Emery because we know he's this pragmatic coach. He's very... Uh, regimented uh you know he practices these drills and and wants his team to play in a certain way so when all of a sudden we don't have to play exactly that way I'm not sure we know how, how to cope with it I think the sending off really had a strange effect on us because we'd just gone ahead I wonder what we would have been like if we hadn't just scored when the sending off happened um, because we wouldn't have had anything to rest on, you know, we would have, we would have seen it as a chance to really turn the screw a bit on Watford. Instead, we had this goal advantage. It was a strange goal. We were, everyone was just kind of coming to terms with that. And then we go up a man and I think it's not so much that we took our foot off the pedal, but there was no need to put our foot back on the pedal, if you like. Uh, and it wasn't a surprise to me when he changed things at, at half time. So I think it was more of, um, an attitude thing rather than, than a, a, personnel issue. I do take your point about, you know, Mustafi and Monreal don't give you as much going forward as kalasinach and, and Maitland Niles, albeit when they play as, as wingbacks rather than, rather than fullbacks. Um, so to, to sum up, I, I think it might've been a factor, but I don't think it was the main reason why we were so poor in that first half. And, mm. And, and for a second, I mean, I think Tim hit on the main thing in the second half was was the weird change, which uh, took the momentum from the performance that we'd had uh, uh, just after the break.
1: Yeah, and I, I presume you're you're talking about obviously the the uh, Ganduzi for for yeah. switch. Yeah. Well, before we get that, yeah. and it ties into what you're saying about not improvising as well under Emery. But I think you know Emery is football. We, we've joked about it, and it's become <clears throat> sort of like a meme at this point. The idea that get it to the wing backs for you know, crosses and cutbacks into the box. But yeah. the reason it's kind of become a meme is because it, there is a, a bit of truth to it. And so I think when you shut down that supply, the the wide supply, you know, the players that suffer are the wide forwards, like Mikatarian I, I thought was particularly absent in this game. And while I don't think he was particularly great when he was on the ball in the first half, in particular when he was playing with Mustafi the, the most, the longest period of time where we were playing with that formation – he had like you know a dozen, fifteen touches, something like that. He just found it really hard to get into the game, and I, you know, we are not a team that really emphasizes midfield possession. You know, under Arsene Wenger, we had sixty, sixty-five percent possession, and we'd have you know two midfielders make a hundred passes in a game like this, or even three. You know, Ozil, Ramsey, and and Torreira would have all had you know a uh, hundred passes in this game, or Shaka, I, sh- I should say. Mm. But like, we're we're just not built to play that way, and so I, I thought that. You know, with two fullbacks that didn't add that supply, it, it didn't really give us a, a, a way to dominate the game. And one thing that I did want to ask you about, because I listened to the cast obviously, and, and you know, Emery said after the game that he made the Torreira switch because of the environment, that Torreira was feeling a little pain, but the environment <laughs> of the game was against him. And I think you and James had said that you sort of, you know, you don't buy that argument Um and I have slightly a different take on it. I, I I actually, while I was watching the match, was really nervous about that because every time he committed a foul, the crowd was trying to get him carded. But it wasn't just the referee that I think was under pressure to even up the game, which they sometimes feel. I thought the Watford players were really targeting him. that They felt that he had bought the red card, which obviously is not the case. He took an elbow from Dini, who totally deserved it, and has said that he tries to whack Arsenal players, and, and he got caught. But... I thought that he was being targeted for physicality, and so do you think that the whole environment of the game thing might have been to protect him from that? Because he was taking some very, very heavy heavy challenges throughout the first half.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I I didn't consider that. I thought, you know, when he said it afterwards, it was a case that... The, the barracking that he was getting from the, you know, the vicious, brutish Watford fans. <laughs> yeah, no, that I agree <laughs> is not a point yet. <laughs> somehow affecting him. I, I didn't think that at all. And, you know, I didn't think he was being uh, or was worried at all about the, the physical attention he was getting. It didn't occur to me that he might have been just protecting him uh, from from a good clumping. He got one, actually, from Takure, maybe. And it was, it was a late challenge. It was studs on the on the shin, you know, yeah.
1: Thankfully off the ground, right? Yellow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't a yellow and it, you know, it's one of those challenges that people will say, well, you know, it could easily have been a red card. So that, that hadn't occurred to me. I knew he had to change something at halftime though. I think we all could see that something needed to give at halftime and, you know, whatever his rationale for taking Torreira off, putting Ozil on was not a negative in any way. I mean, you're bringing on a playmaker, a creative player, a visionary, a visionary player, you're asking him to maybe come on and dictate or influence the game. I'm not sure that that he did that, but we did have our best spell of the game in the the first 15 minutes of the second half, and and then we get to to that weird change.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I I just think you know, for me, if you're if you're looking at Torreira being someone who's recently back, who you're trying to protect, and he's coming in for rough treatment, and you have you know, every foul that he commits or every time he's involved in a challenge, you have the fans sort of shouting off, 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 you know, like idiots. Like, I don't I don't think it was necessarily that it was an emotional, emotionally challenging environment for Torreira so much as the risk of keeping him on did not outweigh, uh, or did outweigh the reward in this case because I think Emery would have felt that bringing on Ozil for Torreira with a, a goal advantage and a man advantage would have been a very safe switch. So, Tim, I, I think... You know, to me, the other reason I liked that switch is I felt that what we needed more of was control. And one of the things that really Mm. worried me in this game, you know, if you look at XG, I think they were at about a goal of XG. We were at about two. Um, You know, overall, we created the much better chances. But the thing that I think had people being very nervous about this game in general was just the amount of times that the game felt very open. Um, That Mm. they were running at us with a numerical advantage. That... For a game where we had a man advantage, we weren't able to exert control. And I thought that bringing in Ozil would do that, and it did briefly, but not enough. I mean, for you, was the really big concern in this game, mainly just that we never seemed able to put our foot on the ball, hold possession for long spells, and really just slow the game down and, and kill it. I mean, we've seen this team do it before. I think it was against Chelsea in the 2-0 win, where the second half we just took yeah, yeah. Air, out, air out of the ball completely. We weren't able to do that.
3: Yeah, and we did, we did it against United at home as well. Yeah, we, we've good, been good quite call. good at that at home, like just closing games out. And and to some extent, I think that's what we were trying to do here. But I thought we were kind of trying to do it the wrong way. There were loads of, like, even from Jacker, loads of backwards passes, which is really not like him. Um, loads of, like, just passing it back to the back four. And, and I guess that's just because Watford didn't really have anyone up there for the first kind of 65 minutes or so. But... I, I think the longer the half went on, the more the whole away form thing became a thing, that it became a psychological thing. That with twenty, twenty five minutes to go, they realized that Watford hadn't given up and um, that Watford weren't just gonna kind of meekly accept a one nil defeat. And Which I Which super do annoying, think,
1: by the way. I mean yeah, they're they're yeah. in the FA Cup final. I mean, throw us a bone. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, but you know that that's one of the, the the kind of the consequences of having such poor away form. Um, you know, you don't you don't invite um, that kind of fear um, and team and and that's uh, as much as I think it's a little bit of a barrier uh, crossed getting that three points. It's still you know it, if if by some miracle we go two 0 up against like Leicester or Wolves or whatever, they're, they're not going to lie down. They're still going to think that there's a fragility to this Arsenal team. Whereas if we go 2-0 up at the Emirates, I think teams are far more likely to just say, right, let's just keep the score down now. Um, So I I think, like I say, I think that substitution kind of unbalanced us. I think also the manager had to correct it and that denied us um, the chance to bring Lacazette on, who I think might have helped to get a measure of control, particularly the way that Ozil and Lacazette combine because what what was happening basically was we had Iwobi who I thought was maybe our best player on the night um, although that was a fairly low bar um, hmm. and, and it was quite it yeah. was quite hair because it was Iwobi like skipping down the left flank and trying to get a cut back and you know with Abamyang obviously you're looking to play on the counter and and, and unfortunately he was offside about 150 times <laughs> And, you know, you give Urzil the ball in that situation. And as I, and I agree with you. I liked that change at half time, But I think one of the reasons it didn't bring a measure of control is because then when Urzil looks up, he's trying to play a through ball to a Bamiang. So he's trying to, like, thread the needle a little bit. Whereas, um, which, you know, all, all of this really should have gotten us another goal because we had we were set up for the counter attack. But. I think we got caught somewhere between trying to counter-attack and, like you say, trying to have that element of control, which we didn't really have with the players we had on the pitch. I think maybe if you get Ozil and Lacazette, um, maybe the goal threat is slightly less in this scenario, but you probably keep better control of the ball, whereas our goal threat was probably, at least in theory, increased by having someone like Iwobi running at them, Ozil looking to thread balls to Aubameyang, Aubameyang running in behind, but... We just didn't quite get it right um, and that led to a bit of a basketball game um, basically in the middle of the game and I, I, I've i got a little bit of sympathy with that because I kind of think if you get the second goal and if Mkhitaryan's not wearing clogs we would have got the second goal and then you look at that and you say yeah there we go we played on the counter we waited our time we we cut them open and we took our chance but and then I think for the last kind of 15, 10, 15 minutes, it just really went to pot technically. And I think that was possibly part fatigue. But I think a lot of that was um, the realization dawning on them that they were close to, you know, actually winning a, a game away from home. And I, I do think there was a psychological element towards the end.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, the the one thing that I think is really interesting here is the the way we play with a lone striker versus with Aubameyang and Lacazette together. And obviously after the match, Aubameyang said he likes playing with Lacazette, but you know, what, what is interesting is that uh, before the Bate loss in Belarus, um, he had played Lacazette and, uh, Aubameyang together as strikers, the the majority of the games. Um, I, I believe they had played like seven. Yeah, exactly. Seven of the previous eight premier league fixtures. They had started together. um, After that, he started with a lone striker five of the seven fixtures. And I think the big difference is Mkhitaryan. So during that run, where he played both strikers together for seven of eight Premier League fixtures, Mkhitaryan was not available. In the five out of eight where he played with a lone striker, Mkhitaryan was available. And I think that Emery probably looks at this team without Mkhitaryan and says, if I don't play both strikers, I don't have enough directness and goal threat and end product. Mm. Um, In Mkhitaryan... McAtearyan, however you want to say it, who cares? You know, say it's your it's your life. Say the names the way you want to say them. Um, I think with McAtearyan, he he feels that he has that extra end product and directness, and and prior to the Everton game, that had been the case. Uh, you know, he had yeah. been among our best in terms of XG ninety, XA ninety goals assists since he'd come back from injury. In this game, I thought he was poor, as he was yeah. in the Everton game, and I think that lack of influence was a big, big part of why the attack didn't fire. So Yeah. Yeah, go, yeah. T- and he
3: he well, Mikatarian in many ways sums this team up. Um, he, he reminds me a bit of Kalasanac in that we've got a lot of quite inconsistent players and Mikatarian's one of them. Um, his ceiling's very high but he can have some stinkers as well, and there doesn't seem to be any pattern as to why. i, I just say I, I think uh, Michael Cox made a really, really good point in his um, match report where I think we've been playing up a lot of the positives of having Lacazette and Aubameyang, and rightly so. But he was saying actually that this the, one of the consequences of kind of rotating, either playing them together or playing one or the other, is that the team never actually adjusts to its focal point. Because we chop and change every game, and I, I think that's a really a, a really well made point. And I I, I do think that in the second half, maybe that played into things a little bit. They did, you know, the team didn't quite appreciate that they were playing with a Bamiyang who's not a controlling player. They were playing with a, a counter attacking striker, yeah. and and we have not really settled into that pattern.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of truth to that, and it, it is interesting to some extent that when Mkhitaryan starts, it's usually with Aubameyang up front. And I, I think that Emory probably sees there being a partnership dating back to Dortmund. And, you know, he, he believes that there's a relationship between the two of them. But in general, I I just don't think that the front three were on the same wavelength. And, and Andrew, you know, one of the things that has become a feature of debating any Arsenal team, but this one in particular is, you know, people have players that they love or hate. There are always going to be some polarizing figures. And one of them is a Wobie. Um, I think you see a Wobi you see an Awobi performance depending on which part of the game you focus on. If you focus on involvement, activity, influence, I think you're gonna be really impressed with a If you focus on the end of any involvement he has, I think that's mm-hmm. where you can be frustrated by a And I thought this was a quintessential sort of um Schrdinger's Awobi game because uh, he was our best player in many ways in terms of his involvement Uh, and and his ability to to carry the ball into the final third and create chances and opportunities. I also thought he was uh, not as clinical as he should have been with some of those opportunities. Obviously, the one that sticks out is the drive he had early in the game where he carried the ball all the way into the final third. I think it was a four-on-two for Arsenal. He wound up holding the ball too long, so he had to shoot. Um, My frustration with this Arsenal team is I think there are just too many attacks That break down for us because we don't turn dangerous situations into really good shooting opportunities. I I think Awobi, Colosinech are are both a little bit guilty of that. So, for you with Awobi, I mean, where are you on the spectrum of being impressed by his involvement versus frustrated with what he does when he gets in the final third?
2: Um, I can see both sides of this. You know, there was a real range of opinion when it came to Awobi's performance. I'm just watching this break again here, the one where he ended up taking the shot. I'm not, I mean, I'm just looking at it again. It's People just not are decisive enough, it is it? Yeah, it's not decisive enough, but I don't think there's anything really 100% on for him in terms of a pass. For a second, there's a pass to uh, to Torreira, maybe inside him, and then maybe there's a pass to Ramsey outside him. So I'm not sure it was quite as clear-cut as, as we would have liked it to be. In the end, he got a shot on target, and and that's fair enough. I absolutely take the point that he is somebody whose end product could do with improving, you know? I I think that really does frustrate people. Um, And then when you tell people after the game, you know, he created seven chances for us on the night. Um, They're taken aback a little bit by how much he's involved. And obviously the one that he set up for Mkhitaryan, which should have been a goal in, in the second half, that was the the one that stands out in everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like that he, he gets involved and I like that he tries to make things happen. And particularly in the first half when there wasn't a lot going on from an attacking point of view uh, for Arsenal, he seemed to be the one guy who was looking to make things happen and didn't often have maybe the right support to, uh, you know, to find the passes. And then you ask the question, well, you know, if he did, would he be able to find those passes anyway? So that's kind of where I am with him. I, I I see a lot of strengths to his game, but I think we're at a point now with him where it feels like he needs to take a bit of a step forward when he's in the opposition final third because I think his awareness is better, his strength is better, the way he holds the ball up, particularly with his back-to-goal. Is better. He gives us a bit of an outlet, a physical outlet at times, which we don't have a great deal of in this team. You know, without um, your old pal Giroud, you know, <laughs> we don't have somebody who we can hit a long ball to. Really, I, I loved because, him as a Plan B. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Fine, I, I, I'm only winding you up, really. But yeah, you enough. know, that, that's an element of a Woby's game that I think he's made progress in. But when you're being played as an attacking player or somebody, you know, in a front three you have to start producing in the final third. And, you know, we could say, we could sit here and say, look, actually, he should have had an assist if, if Mkhitaryan had had more conviction in the finish uh, for the chance that he set him up. And, and, you know, the stats tell us that, you know, he made seven chances. I think what our eyes tell us is that he's still a a player who who isn't quite as confident as you would like him to be at key moments. And I think when you've got a, when you've got somebody like Mkhitaryan in the team as well, who's hit and miss, who can be really good, but who can also stink the place out, as I thought he did, um, I'm not sure you can have both of those players in the team at the same time. And the thing about the way Emery uses Iwobi and Mkhitaryan is that they, they're a bit of a duo. Uh, he tends to t- uh, pick them both together, so... There's no margin for error when Iwobi can't produce and Mkhitaryan is is playing the way he plays.
3: Yeah. Do you know what? I go ahead. Yeah. I I just interject on Iwobi because I, I I think I'm probably someone who's more in the pro Iwobi camp, but I think I'll be able to evaluate him better when we have another player like that because I think his importance is possibly inflated by the fact that we mm. really really need more players like him. And whether he is quite of the vintage that we require, I think personally I'll be able to make a better judgment when we perhaps get one or two more guys who don't mind trying to beat a man and and kind of taking the game to opponents at the moment. I think probably his importance is outsized by the fact that he's the only player like that we have and we desperately need more of them.
1: Yeah, and, and look, he's an academy player and you want to root for those kind of players. I, I think the only thing that is difficult for me is... Is he still a young player? I mean, he's played a lot of first-team football. He's, you know, he's had no shortage of opportunity and experience. I think at this stage of his career, because, Tim, you've always berated me in the past, um, as as many people do, uh, but in this particular case, about the idea that finishing tends to come a little later in in a player's yeah. development and that what they do in front of goal comes a little bit later. And I fully take you on, on your point that, that that is the case. I guess what I'm saying is, do any of us believe there is a prolific goal scorer or prolific end product player in Iwobi just waiting to burst out?
3: I I don't don't think we see signs of that, right? It it also depends on what we want him to be and what kind of system he's playing in. Uh, The thing is as well, players can be really, really useful without being outstanding, depending on how the team is set up. So the darren um,
2: fletcher type player the, uh, and i'm not I, saying obi is darren fletcher but no. guy it's a great job you know week in week out and can be I an was, important part of a squad uh throughout yeah yeah well
3: actually player. the, the advantage the um the example i was going to use was jesse lingard now jesse yeah. lingard is not an outstanding footballer but in certain great scenarios, dancer he, yeah
4: <laughs> mm. yeah
3: in certain scenarios, he's very valuable to the way that Man United set up, particularly if they're playing on the counter. He's not a brilliant footballer. You wouldn't like I can't really list his qualities, to be honest with you. I can't say, oh, he's got a great right foot or he's a great passer he in certain scenarios he is a really valuable player for them without being a superstar and and maybe how will be become that type of player maybe you won't we we don't really know yet so he he might not be a prodigy um of any sort I, the 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 kind of example i, I guess i always use is thomas Rositzky who who's a, a really good footballer not an elite world class footballer but a good footballer and one that was actually really, really valuable to Arsenal. Again, because he was kind of the only player of his type. And again, that kind of outsized his, um, his contribution, I think. And I'm not saying he's not talented. He was very talented. But mm. his contribution outsized his talent because he was what Arsenal needed.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way about Thierry Henry. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Can I just uh, make a point on it? I mean, yeah, I think sure. uh, I'm, uh, I'd be
2: really happy if Uwobi was part of our squad for the next yeah. two or three or five seasons, whatever it is. I mean, I think there's a good enough player in there. You know, he's played nearly 150 games now for Arsenal. And, you know, you, you say, can we consider him a young player? At 22, I think he is still young, but he's an established first-team player yes. now, and that maybe changes the expectations. Uh, I, I do think there's an element of him playing as much as he does because Danny Welbeck is not there. I think when we look to build a squad for next season, you know, having another player who can uh, who can do what Iwobi does uh, is really important when it comes to the transfer market. I'm not convinced he's going to be a wide player for his entire career. I think at some point he's going to move more more centrally. Yeah, um, I agree. But you know. I don't really feel the need to sort of write him off or, or anything like that yet. I think he can be a very useful squad player. Maybe he'll take that step forward and become uh, a, a first team pick week in week out. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But I still think that he's got a lot to contribute. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, to, to this.
1: I don't. You know. The, the problem is these these debates become so binary, right? I mean, he's mm. he's class or he's shit, and that's that's just not what it has to be. I think the point is, if I said to anyone we're going to go out and buy a really supremely talented goal scoring wide forward this summer. I don't think anyone would say, no, don't do that. It's going to kill a Wobie. You know, I think people recognize that that's an area of need. Um, well, well, before we take a break, Andrew, I, I do want to get your your take on one other performance. And it's, you know, again, we're going to talk young players that people have high expectations for. I'm sort of confused about Mavropanos because he played, I think, two Premier League games last season. One, he got sent off. Uh, the first one, he, he looked really good in. And I understand mm. that he's had some impressive performances in games I haven't watched, uh, youth, youth games and things like that. I am not by any means suggesting he is not a talented player who could be very good for us. But for some reason, people seem to have an opinion of him that he is a player who can step into the first team and play for us right now and, and <laughs> is the solution we need at center back. And I just don't fully understand how that hype is developed. And I thought that this game was a very big reminder of the distance between where he is in reality and and where he needs to be if he wants to play for Arsenal regularly. I thought he struggled, and the thing that surprised me also is he's a player who a lot of people have had a high regard for his on-the-ball play, his his passing and his control of the ball, his use of the ball. I didn't really see that in this game, and I saw a lot of nerves and, and decision-making issues. Now, again, I'm not killing the kid. He's not someone who is a first-team player right now, but the reason I bring it up is because I think there are a lot of people that believe he could be. So do you think this game is... Sort of definitive proof for the moment that mavrapana still has a lot of development to do before we can really see him as part of the first team.
2: Yeah, look, I think n- not so much a definitive whatever it was you just said, but more a reality check. Sorry, you can just say just say it better.
1: Out. Yeah, just say it better. It's fine,
2: yeah. <laughs> I just think it's a reality check about who he is and what we expect from him. And I think you know we we part of the hype. I think is because when he came it was a Sven Mislintat signing and Wenger was a little bit sniffy about it. And he called him, what did he say? This, this Greek boy, I think he said, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's going to go out on loan. And then he saw him and went, actually, yeah, he's quite good. But you know, the two games he played last season, maybe one was against Manchester United. It could have been, um, but you know, Never last season, uh, yeah, last season was just, we were going through the motions at that point in the premier league. He got sent off in the game against Leicester, And ever since Arsenal have had defensive issues, we had defensive issues under Wenger defensive issues under Unai Emery. We've struggled to maintain any kind of cohesive back four or back three unit. You know, it's always chopping and changing through injury or suspension. And we're looking for something, anything that will make us better. And I think a lot of people went, well, you know, Mavropanos, it's got to be, it's gotta be him. Um, You know, let's be realistic. This was his fourth start for Arsenal. And he's, what, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old central defender. Uh, He's got a long way to go. And I I think your point about the way uh, that he passed the ball was interesting to me because I didn't see him as confident. He looked nervous. Mm -hmm. Even when we were playing with a man advantage, you know, there was an element of him. I think he was kind of deferring a little bit too much to the player's uh, either side of him, you know, Mustafi and, and Koscielny, who I know were there to nurse him through the game. But, um, you know, with the ball, I'm, I'm not sure he was quite as as good as we, we would have hoped. Look, be realistic. How can we make any definitive judgment on a player of his age uh, being played, uh, I guess, so irregularly that we, we just have no idea what kind of a player he is yet? Now, I think I said on the Arscast, there is at least some show of faith in him or 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 his ability or his quality that, that Emery was prepared to play him away from home against Watford, against a team that he knew was going to be physical and difficult and quick. Uh, Andre Gray is very quick. Deeney is physical. Away from home, you know, we're so bad. Away from home. Um, in a back four, maybe we can read something into that that he was prepared to play him. But I think we saw from the way that he played there's a long way to go in terms of what he's got to learn. And, uh, and I think people really do need to temper their expectations of him. Um, maybe we'll need him between now and the end of the season, but, uh, he might even play on Sunday against crystal palace because of the way things are working out. Mm. But, you know, I think as long as everybody else is fit and that includes Mustafi, he's not going to be in the team. And I think that's probably, probably right.
1: Yeah, and, and by the way, I, to be clear, I wasn't killing him or saying he won't no, be good. It. Yeah, you- yeah, I, I'm just saying that... And, and, you know, a lot of how you feel about narrative or players is what you hear on social media, what you hear... Uh, what what you read, what you hear from, you know, the the big J journalists and things like that. And for whatever reason, in sort of my sphere, I have come in contact with a lot of Mavropano's hype. So... You know, in my mind, I had built up that there was this player that just needs to get on the pitch, and he's going to make a first-team place at center back his. And I, I think seeing him play, you just see, no, he's where you'd expect a 20-, 20, 21-year-old center back to be, and that's quite some way off being ready. So, totally fine. Look, I it is uh, nearly Mother's Day here in the United States. Do you guys have Mother's Day in May?
2: i uh, I don't when we have mother's day
1: okay so you just missed it you missed an opportunity obviously we have an opportunity here in the united states because with mother's day coming up
2: you're not you're not gonna sell oh oh, yeah oh Oh. yeah (laughs) we're gonna we're we're gonna sell you some
1: lingerie (laughs) just in time for mother's day then we'll come back and talk about the substitutions the second half and a little look ahead to ren we're gonna take a break you can wash your mouth out do whatever you got to do we'll be back right after this Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at enclosed the-e-n-c-l-o-s-e-d.com. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month club. That's right. Just like a beer of the month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed, and the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult... To remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month, you're going to get that high end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to TheEnclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high end luxury lingerie. Just go to TheEnclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. All right, we're back now that you sorted out for Mother's Day or, you know, if you're not in the U.S. where Mother's Day is coming up, you know, whatever holiday, maybe Father's Day, that's coming up here as well. You know, either way, no judgments. In any event, uh, let's talk about the substitutions in the second half. And I mean, look, we got through it. I, I think, Tim, that the one that's getting a lot of attention is the Ganduzi for Mavropano substitution. And mm. I think it has been referred to on some podcasts as a mistake, I have heard that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree yeah. with that, but I have sort of an interesting theory about it. The first is I think Mavropanos had to come off. Um, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. think it was like, holy cow, he's a disastrous to come off. But I, I think it was clear that he was pretty nervous and he, he got some minutes under his belt, but it was time to take him off. Now, yeah. what the manager decided to do was to say, okay, I'm going to go with the Mustafi, Koscielny, Nacho Monreal back three. In principle, I don't see that as being off-the-wall weird. I mean, if he had started with that, I don't think anyone would have thought that was weird. If course, and Maitland, Niles had been the wingbacks in that. So he brings on Ganduzi and goes to a back three of three players that should be able to play in the back three. The issue then is he had mm. Mkhitaryan and Awobi as the wingbacks, which obviously mm. was a very weird change, and I'm not sure the players coped with it well. I also thought it was interesting against Napoli... When El came on, Ganduzi looked pissed. He looked unhappy. He and Ozil had a little chat. Ganduzi looked like he was sucking on lemons. He's been in and out of the team a little bit lately, and maybe Emery thought, you know, we need a little more control. He adds that for us. I got to get Mavropanos out and switch to the back three, and this is a chance for me to get Ganduzi on the pitch. So I think there may have been a lot of factors there that yeah. that led him to make this choice. But in and of itself, using a and Mkhitaryan as wing backs when you have the extra man. You know, he may have felt that the three—he even said it after the game. I thought that the three central defenders would give us enough control, and it didn't, and he made the change. So can we at least defend it as not—I mean, it was wrong, and he fixed it. Yeah, But it's not totally off the wall to think that that back three can work. I mean, if he had started with it, we wouldn't have batted an eyelash.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, d- I don't think um, the the back three was the issue, and and the really kind of contrary thing about the substitution is, I think you're totally right. Mavropanos had to come off, and like I said at the outset, there, there must have been some expectation that he wasn't going to finish in ninety minutes. And actually, Genduzi, I thought, played really well when he came on, um, and I think he did. You know, he was one of the players who was who looked to be trying to give us that bit of control totally that we agree. were lacking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the issue was the wing-backs, not least because Iwobi was was being... St- the whole game was stationed really, really high up, um, really high up the pitch. And I don't know if they highlighted this on uh, on Sky or any transmission you were watching, but for the first time, we we left three players up from Watford's corners. Um, we left Abamiang, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan up on the halfway line, which I've never seen us do before. Um, so I'll be I'll be interested to see if we do that again, or whether that's just something they identified with Watford, whether they felt they were susceptible, or whether they just thought it was a bit of a way of clearing out the penalty area because they're because uh, they carry a threat from set pieces. I'm not sure, but um, like Mkhitaryan, what was really weird was as wing backs they were completely lopsided because Mikatarian just went to right back as far as I could see. He was in line with the central midfielders, but Iwobi didn't really. Dropped to wing back. He was still playing as a winger, so it was really. And you know, Obi was on Emery's side as well, so it, it was really. I thought it was quite odd, and like I said, the, the players didn't get it at all. They were they they were all like motioning to the bench, and um, I think bless him, Genduz's English is possibly not quite good enough yet to really relay a detailed tactical instruction um, from the manager because they they were all kind of looking, overlooking. Very puzzled. So it, it was kind of a weird substitution in that you're right. Mavropanos, I think, had to come off. Putting Genduzi on wasn't a bad idea, and he played well. But, yeah, d- doing that with wingback, I, I think, like, just putting Kolasinac or Maitland-Niles on would have made well, quite a this lot to sense. Gonna ask.
1: If he had just done the Genduzi and Maitland-Niles subs in reverse, we wouldn't be yeah. having this conversation, right? If it yeah, had been indeed, Maitland-Niles indeed. for Mavropanos and then Genduzi for Ramsey, we wouldn't be having the conversation, yeah. Um, and I think he had both of those substitutions in mind, and just made them in a very weird order. And mm. so, Andrew, one of the things that I think is very interesting, I have this sort of working theory based entirely on uh, my gut uh, and not, you know, anything else. My brain, though, my gut may be more accurate than the latter. But the the working theory is that I think Emery has become increasingly. Uh, aggressive with his substitutions as the season has worn on, that he has aired on the side of more attacking substitutions to try to hold points and win games um, than defensive ones, and and I like it because I think in general what he's maybe realized is getting the extra goal is the best defense for us. That you know trying to hold on to a one 0 is not a good strategy, and I I I think that maybe with the Ganduzi from avrapano substitution he thought. I can still go for it and get that second goal that makes the points safe. It didn't work. And to his mm. credit, he corrected it. He got Maitland-Niles on pretty quickly after for Ramsey, and that, you know, I don't want to say it settled things right down because it never really did, but it worked better. Um, but for you, I mean, do you think that the sub he made and the, the substitution patterns in general for memory have become increasingly attack-oriented and,
2: and aggressive as the season's worn on? Um... I'd actually have to go back and look at the the changes that he's made. And I'm not sure I agree with with you guys about Mavropanos. You thought he could have stayed on? Yeah. And I don't think that you pick a center half with the idea of only playing him for 60 minutes. I just don't see that as part of a strategy, you know? You can think about changes... In the final third, or you can think about changes in midfield, maybe to give you more control. But I, I find it very hard to imagine that he picked Mavropanos and was only going to play him for an hour. See, Particularly, oh,
1: oh, can, I, can I just interject for one second? I don't personally think it was planned. I think he looked like he
2: was struggling and had sure ha- had to be replaced. So I, I think yeah. he made a quick decision after an incident when Mavropanos made a bit of a mistake a, yeah. a misjudgment, and I think he made his decision based on that. Um, It's just that, um, you know, he was never going to play Ramsey for 90 minutes. Yeah. So I think maybe he got a little bit frightened by by what Mavropanos had had done and and sought to correct that, and he got it wrong. And I think maybe you're right. You know, if the changes had been made the other way, there wouldn't be the same discussion or the same talking point. But, you know, it did kind of kill our momentum a bit, and – we had made a couple of really good chances in those first 15 minutes, and as Tim said earlier in the show, it denied us the opportunity to bring on um, to bring on Lacazette, who I think would have caused Watford a lot more problems. I don't think we would have been quite as worried about the final half an hour if we'd had Lacazette on, because I think most of the game would have been played in their final third. We'd have pushed them way, way back. As it was. You know, I thought there was an element of of caution, really, to the Genduzi from Avropanos, um substitution. I think that instilled a little bit of doubt within the team. Uh, Tim's saying, you know, that they weren't quite sure exactly what was going on. In fairness, he did correct it, and we were better. But at a key moment in the game, the change that he made put us on the back foot a bit. So I'm not sure it, it could be seen as a an attacking Substitution, or one that was designed to get us another goal. I think it was, it was sort of born out of fear of what might happen to Mavropanos. I think, you know, if it were me, and and uh, you know, obviously it's not uh, up to it's me. Shame. I, I think it's I a shame. just, I, I, it's it's a good job. Let me tell you, <laughs> uh, 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 I think I would have left Mavropanos on because you know he was, um, he was not necessarily playing that well, but. You know, we were playing against 10 men. I think he had two experienced defenders beside him to, to help him through it. And if we'd had asserted more control, you know, in our own game, then we would have left him uh, less exposed. So I think that's where I am with that.
1: Yeah, and it's not that I disagree. I mean, look. I I like snap judgments more than most and my snap judgment was like oh boy Mavropanos is really struggling in this game and I didn't think
2: he was really struggling I just think hmm. he had a couple of moments where his his rawness shone through and I think that's what informed Emery's decision you yeah. know I think it was generally fine but you could see he was a, a young inexperienced player but then what were we expecting
1: No it's it well look it it's not so much the expectation so much as like uh, you're now trying to win a Premier League game that you have a lead and a man advantage. And if you think that he's the most likely to be a problem, then you get him out of the firing line and you, you go on and win the game. And we did. And I, I just I agree that the, the the substitution was wrong. I mean, in and he admitted it. He said after the game, it didn't work. And he changed it. Um, and credit to him for doing that. Uh, I think Maitland-Niles from Avropanos would have been a fine switch and probably the right switch. Um, yeah. and, and Maitland-Niles wound up having a huge, a, a crucial block. Late in the game to you know preserve the points. So yeah, overall it, it all worked out. I think in c- closing on this game, Tim, there there is an argument that this wasn't as bad a performance as it has been viewed. I mean, we had 19 hmm. shots for you know we're a team yeah. that averages just under 12 away. I think against Everton we had eight. Is that right? Seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had 19, five on target. They had eleven, okay, probably more than you'd like to concede to a team that's down a man, but with nineteen shots and the balance of good chances and the Mikatarian one that was, you know, point blank and should have made the points safe, and you know, just a lot of moves that broke down and didn't result in in chances when they could have. I mean, is there an argument that while the game was open and that made it feel nervy? we definitely had the lion's share of the good chances, the lion's share of the shots, and that overall yeah. we were well worth the three points and that some of the hand-wringing is based more on the fact that the game was a little bit open than it is based on the balance of of who was the better team.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also it's, it's kind of to do with the way it ended um, a little bit as well because it kind of ended with Watford on top. Um, I, I think what you've pointed out there is that the thing that Emery's been battling with all season. Do we have more control over the game and fewer shots? Or do we increase our offensive potential and have less control over the game? This is this is the thing he's been wrestling with all season when he doesn't know whether to play a number ten or whether to have like three central midfielders um, or whether to have three at the back or four at the back. And he's just kind of wrestling with this balance at the moment. And this this game brought a little bit of that out. Um, I, I would say that, um, it, yeah, it, it probably was a slightly better performance, and also the fact that you know the away form is such a thing. I think in isolation, you'd say a Monday night away at Watford, who are I think eighth in the Premier League, going really well. They've just got to a cup final, uh, winning you know the wins behind them, and all of that. And we've got a big game in Naples on Thursday night and we've gone and we've taken a 1-0 and it wasn't pretty, but we took it. And, and I think if our away form was normal, um, we might take it a little bit more in isolation. But, you know, it's like we were talking about after the Everton game, weren't we? How how difficult is it to separate the away form thing from the performance? Because Everton could just have been a bad day. It might not have anything to do with the fact that we were away from home. I, I don't think I believe that, but it, that could have been... Uh, what it was, but um, while, while that's like a, dominates um, the, the 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 kind of discussion, then that's always going to come out. And and obviously, you know, when you go one nil up and a man up inside ten minutes, obviously your expectations rise a little bit. Um, and you know, the, those expectations kind of lowered more and more as the game went on. I, I will say, I thought we saw it out quite well. Where you know that last fifteen minutes. Like I said, I think we got a bit scared, and we decided to defend it. I, I do think we did that really well, and I, I would say as well. Um, I, I said this on Twitter. I was I was behind the goal we were defending in the second half, and just watching Lauren Koscielny really calmly kind of marshal traffic in that back four was just was just it was a real pleasure. It honestly it it brought me back to the kind of Sol Campbell, Tony Adams type. Um, and you know, I, again, he, he didn't make enough obvious interventions, I think maybe for it to have really come out on camera, but I was just watching him and he was just, you know, really calm point, pointing, but not shouting, you know, just kind of right. You go there. Yep. This is coming over here. You go there. And every time Watford got a free kick, we put the defensive line really, really high. And that was obviously something we did on purpose. And, and I don't think Watford really threatened from set pieces either because from the corners, like I said, we had three up. And when they kept getting those three kicks towards the end, we had the defensive line really, really nice and high. So Leno had loads of space and he didn't have, you know, Troy Deeney wasn't on the pitch, but he didn't have like loads of elbows in his face when he was coming for the ball. And I, I thought um, as much as this game was a bit chaotic, I thought defensively we we really controlled it. And I, and I really think that that was, that was down, you know, almost entirely to Lauren Koscielny. I, I do think Mustafi actually played quite well. Um as well, particularly he was good in the air, but I, I i kind of i i can't help but worry because I just think the two most important players in our team at the moment are Kashelny and ramsey, and one of them is definitely going, and we don't know how much football we're going to get out of the uh, out of the other one um mm. next season, so you know potentially there's there's all, another big transition in the offing because I was watching this game, and I was thinking, imagine if we'd left left Koscielny out. Um, I don't think we get out of there with three points, um, if that's the case. And, yeah, Yeah. I wanted to to kind of highlight that because I thought he was outstanding.
1: Well, the good news is, from a question that I intended to be, you know, positive about this match, you've made me completely terrified about next season. So that's good. (laughs) Um, We're going to start to wrap up. I, I think one thing, Andrew, that... All Arsenal fans are maybe struggling with a little bit. I shouldn't say all Arsenal fans because we are by no means a unified voice in any way. But uh, is how to evaluate Aubameyang. He is such a different type of player than we are used to. I mean, in this game, he scores a goal that he creates just through good hard work and lightning quickness. Um, And then he has chances he blows. He had one XG on the game. To put it in perspective, you know, the best striker in the Premier League this season is Sergio Aguero with .76 XG per 90. So, like, having an expected goal per game would make you one of the best players in Europe uh, and the best in the Premier League. And I'm not saying that's where he's at. I'm just trying to put in comparison the fact that, like, again, another game where we might say, oh, Aubameyang, you know, he's not on form. And his finishing certainly doesn't look on form. And yet, here he is, certainly right there for the golden boot, Having missed tons of chances, but having created tons of chances. I mean, Mm. do we maybe just have to come to realize that, like, what is elite about Aubameyang is that he is going to get into an absolute mountain of positions to score goals. And unfortunately, he's only going to convert maybe one of them. But he's going to wind up scoring you 25 goals a season in the league as a result of that. um, And that's going to leave you feeling... Frustrated with him a lot, but you know that that is just the player he is. I mean, do do we have to find a way to evaluate him that doesn't leave us over exaggerating the the negatives of his game?
2: Yeah, I think you know some of the flaws that exist in his game would not be as worrisome if we were a more solid team defensively. Fair. You know, because uh, you know he misses chances in games, and you think Jesus, we could really do with another goal here. Uh, because you're not confident that we can keep a clean sheet because we don't keep very many clean sheets. So I think that is part of why he frustrates, uh, personally, I, I, I really like him. And if he was 23 or 24, he'd drive me mental. He'd drive me crazy. But I think because he's 29, 30, this is who he is. And I, you know, we have to accept that this is who he is. He's going to score you a load of goals. He's going to miss a load of chances and that's that's where we are with him you know i don't think at this point he is a leopard whose spots are going to change or his game is not really going to change in any significant way but as you say you know look at the look at the scoring charts he's in the scrap for the golden boot in the premier league he scores a lot of goals and i think he deserves a lot of credit for the goal he scored the other night you know we we talk about his movement and we talk about maybe this season where he's scoring more goals from outside the box than he he did certainly in the last couple of years with Dortmund you know there's there's been things that he's doing for us uh, this season that that he hasn't really done in the past so it's not like he hasn't changed or adapted in some ways but i think he deserves a lot of credit just for the hard work that he puts in he really does put in a shift the goal came because he closed down the fullback he forced the fullback inside he closed down the goalkeeper you know he he used his pace um is maybe the quickest i've seen him move you know we we've we've uh, all heard about how how fast he is but you know i was maybe when he arrived expecting somebody a little bit faster um, which isn't to say he's slow or anything like that but well, you know what's
1: weird is don't you so, hear that in the foot races and training he like he like is the fastest player in the yeah, squad it just but, but, but you're it, right he doesn't look that way on the pitch all the time I think, he's,
2: I think he's really quick over 5 10 15 yards and you know on a longer stretch that's not where he's at his quickest i think that was evident in the goal that he scored you know i i just can't get hung up about a guy who's the age that he is and start demanding things from him that that he's just not capable of giving and if we have a goal scorer who might end up with what 25 30 goals this season and he misses a lot of chances it is frustrating but it's great to have that player in the team um where would so, we be without those goals i mean
1: right i mean if you have a player who's more clinical but scores seven goals, fewer a season. Are you better off?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's it. I just don't see the point in, in going crazy at him. I think he's a really good character as well. I like his, um, I like his attitude. I like what he obviously brings to the training ground and to the, to the team spirit. I think those are important things. We can't really measure them of course, but I think he is just overwhelmingly a positive character. Um, and he's not somebody who, if he misses a chance, lets his head go down. You know, he will just keep going. I mean, he's clearly used to it himself. You know, he's living it. So um, he is somebody who I understand why he frustrates people. I understand it. You know, there's sometimes some times where he misses a chance and you think, how can you be a guy who scores as many goals as you do and you miss that? How? How can you do that? I just don't get it. But it is what it is. And um, I, I feel like... If we are going to achieve what we want to achieve this season in terms of finishing in the top four or or winning the Europa League, that he is a guy who's made a big contribution to that so far and will definitely make a big contribution between now and the end of the season.
3: Yeah, and sometimes yeah, yeah, please come back with it. I was just going to add really, really quickly to that. I think also he works really bloody hard. Um, I think he, he chases down, he chases defenders down, quite often plays out of position, doesn't complain. I, I think um, I think his work rate is really underrated and, and I'd just say, kind of in conclusion, you don't have to choose between Lacazette and Aubameyang. We have both of them. You don't have to keep choosing between them or feel compelled to have a favourite or yeah. to say which one you'd rather sell. We have both of them and... They both have lots of great qualities. They're good friends. They both work their asses off. It's brilliant. Don't feel you have to choose. Please, it's driving me mental.
1: Yeah, and we don't want that. Um, I, I think <laughs> I, I think it's true. And, and look, I mean, look at the chance Ramsey missed from the penalty spot against Napoli, right? Players miss those chances. The problem with Aubameyang is he gets so many bloody chances that, like, you know, he doesn't miss one good one. He misses three good ones and puts one away. But do you remember the chance he he made a really... Quick burst to the near post, in behind mm. the defense, Uh Low cross came in and he somehow managed yeah, to blast yeah, it yeah. over the bar. My first reaction is, oh my God, he's missed another sitter. When I watched it back on replay, it's such tremendous movement to get to the spot. And, you know, once you get there, you expect him to finish. But it, it is it is such an interesting duality that he has, that his movement and his f- explosive first step and his instinct in the box for where to be is so good and it, it, it's because of that that he winds up getting so many chances and he winds up missing so many and it, it, it just can frustrate and I totally understand it but I think we are obviously much better off. I don't know if I've mentioned this but Giroud's best ever goal scoring season in the league was 16 goals. So, you know, something to think about. Alright, so we'll we'll wrap up maybe with just a little look forward. Oh, one quick word and we don't have to comment on this but I think it's worth it. I, I think just another reminder uh, that we may have sort of hit the lottery a little bit with Burn Leno, um, another great uh performance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think we need to go over the top with him, but he has been very, very important. And, you know, as was yep. said on the cast, when you look at what was spent on Keppa and Allison, I think Keppa's been terrible, but Allison has been quite good. Ederson, very good, but Leno has been a player of the season candidate for us. And yep. given given what we spent on him, you love to see that because it's you know, if you can get a decent goalkeeper without having to spend striker money on him, that's that's how you can build a good team. So uh, Come back, Sven. Yeah, and, well, don't joke. That, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on a rant. Um, so so let's just look ahead really quickly. I mean, this is a very, very important three points, regardless of how we got there and, and how you feel about it, because I think it puts us in a position now where if we win two home games and one away game, I think we'll be top four. Um, mm. I think that would do it. I think we need Chelsea to lose at United. And if they do that, then I think we're definitely home free. But everybody can look at their spreadsheets and figure that out on their own. Let's let's just talk quickly about the Napoli game. Andrew, um, how do you think he'll set up for it? And what are your expectations?
2: Uh, I think he'll go with the, you know, back to the back three. I think he will play Koscielny. Sokratis can obviously come back in as well. Um, we'll see Maitland-Niles and Kalasinac come back in. Ramsey, I think, will play. Torreira and Jacka will play. Lacazette should play. I, I think he's, I think he's going to set up pretty much as he did in in uh, the last uh, the last home game. Um, you do, so, but do you think Aubameyang and Lacazette will start? No. Okay. I don't think so. I, I have a feeling he might play play Ozil, um, which is maybe surprising away from home. But I just I, I just have a like a, a support goal, striker
1: a off Lacazette with Ramsey at
2: 10? Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. so. Maybe so. And I think, you know, we we have every right to be worried because we're away from home and away from home in the Europa League. We've lost to Bate. We've lost to Wren. But, you know, one goal in this game means they have to score four times. So, you know, I think it would be foolish to just sit back and, um, it's hard to resist that temptation when you've got a two goal lead but i would be very surprised if he went ultra conservative for this i think he he knows or has come to the realization that if we're you know if we're strong in any part of the pitch it's the final third we've got lots of goal threat lots of quality there napoli didn't look great defensively and i do think that he's had a look at napoli now and i think that played a part in the team selection against watford he really wanted his two wingbacks fresh, you know, he rested them both and, you know, had he not needed to correct that error, maybe he wouldn't have brought Maitland Niles on at all. So I think he's looking at targeting, um, Napoli down the wings with his wingbacks and looking for Ramsey to get in the box, Lacazette to get in the box, uh, maybe Ozil or, or somebody else to be in there as well. So I think he's, he's going to have a little bit of a go at them. Um, obviously, we, we, we don't want to concede early or anything like that, but I don't see it as uh, as one of those games where we look at the lineup and think, oh, he's just going to try and sit and, and see out a two-goal lead. I, I just, you know, if we do that, I think we're in trouble. You think we get through? Think we get... I am actually quite confident that we will because I think we'll score a goal. I think he has to play Aubameyang in this game.
1: I mean you very rarely as Arsenal get to play fully on the counter. And I think we could be playing a lot on the counter attack in this game. And true, you, you know, that is one area where you really want to bomb me. I mean, Lacazette is a lot of things and a lot of good things. He's a good in the box finisher. Uh, he holds the ball up pretty well and he presses well. Um,
2: would you play the two of them? I would, I would, I,
1: I would go <laughs> exactly how we did in the first leg. I'd play Ramsey and Torreira as a midfield two in the back three. I'd play Ozil at 10 and Aubameyang and Lacazette up front. And I think you're going to be playing in transition a lot. Um, Mm. I'd I'd still press them on the ball, but I'd probably do it from 10 yards further back than we did in the first game. So just sit in a little deeper, but still be very aggressive with on-the-ball pressure. And the minute there's a transition, get the ball to Ozil and let him play in the strikers. I... I think you have to play Yang in a game where a goal wins you the tie and the other team has to attack. I mean, this this sets up for him, right? Napoli has to attack. They need goals. And we are going to have space on the counter. And we have one of the great counterattacking strikers in European football. I think if you don't use him here, why do you even have him? I mean, Tim, is that is that a fair statement as we get ready to say goodbye? It,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure he will, though. Maybe he will. Um but, I mean, his his team selection against Watford, I think, tells you a lot about who's going to play. He's going to play Maitland, Niles and Kolasinac. Um He only plays them in the back five. Um, he's, he took Ramsey off early. He didn't play Ozil. So, um, you know, those guys are going to play. I, I think that Lacazette will start and Aubameyang will be on the bench, personally, but I don't have a strong view as to whether they should both play.
1: You don't have a strong view? No. Well, what are we doing here then? <laughs>
3: I'll, I'll have a strong view afterwards. That is the, the best way, way happened, to do it. Uh, yeah. And in hindsight, but I don't have one now.
1: Do you think we'll get through? Yes. Okay. I um I could easily see this being two nil Napoli after about thirty minutes, but I still think we'll get through. <laughs> uh, I think the power of the away goal will will see it see it happen here. And Tim, I'm sure you just want to send your thoughts and prayers to anyone going to Napoli for this game on behalf of yeah. Arsenal Football Club.
3: Yeah, been there, done that um no, not thanks. doing it again
1: yeah fair <laughs> enough tim's on twitter at stoberto thanks tim
3: my pleasure as always
1: andrew is on twitter at Arse Blog. thanks yeah, andrew uh
2: thank you for having me
1: yeah no it's a pleasure uh uh vote for andrew in the fbas as the best content creator <laughs>
2: He, he's, oh, you can he, save your votes for the Arsenal Vision podcast. No,
1: because you're, you're, you're nominated as best content creator. You've ascended from just podcasting. Hey, what does
2: that mean, though? I mean, what does that? I mean, It I means don't get you
1: create that. a universe of content that Arsenal fans are blessed and fortunate to consume <laughs> uh, and, and do so delightedly. Uh, vote for us for best podcast. You, you win bigger podcasting awards. You, you win, like, the, the real ones. Um, and, and then...
2: Why I think everyone should get behind you guys. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you, you don't want to be in front of us, that's for sure. You want to, you want to be right no. behind us because um, we're not much to look at. Might do a pre-match show, uh, by the way, just before kickoff, so look, look for news on that as it comes. And anyway, uh, in any event, my name is Elliot Samantha. You can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review, all the good stuff. Clive and Paul will be back for the next one, unfortunately. Scott will as well. Uh, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Napoli now.